You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode 123 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Wanted Noise. Two-time sponsor of the show, Wanted Noise is a punk band from San Diego, California. Wanted Noise are self-described as four loud, obnoxious, handsome dudes with a love of playing distorted instruments in cool places. They play a hybrid of classic SoCal punk with a modern twist. For more information on Wanted Noise, you can find them on all of the streaming platforms as well as Facebook and Instagram at Wanted Noise CA. Now here it is, their new single, Go Get.
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, this is Jim Ruland, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. Run for the road, cause it's going on and on. We'll be driving through the darkest night until the break of dawn. We'll be heading for the cities, another show for us to play. To get back in the van tomorrow, we'll do it. We'll do it all again Hey everybody out there in podcast land, what is going on? As always, this is Chris Swinney, your host for that one time on tour. I hope that you are all doing well out there as the pandemic drags on and on. It doesn't seem like it's ever going to end. Uh, some friends of mine in different bands have been posting like, hey, here's our tour dates for 2021. And I think it's premature. Like, I think it's uh, they're being optimistic. But man, I this whole thing is crazy. And I know I talk about it every week on the program, but it just it seems like it just keeps getting weirder and weirder. Where I live in Indiana, it, it's been doing better. The, the cases have been at least plateauing. I won't say they're going down, but they're plateauing. Uh, the county that I live in, which is Delaware County, Muncie, Indiana, we are the top county in the state as far as cases and like I think positivity percentages on the cases or on the tests or whatever. And uh, I'm not sure if I should be happy about that or not. It's like, yeah, we're number one, but it's number one for not a great thing. So I hope you're all doing out doing well out there. I hope that uh, you are staying safe and you're washing your hands, you're not touching your face, and you're taking this seriously, wear a mask. I try to explain this to some of my more conservative kind of right-wing friends, and yes, I do have them. I think we all have them, um, and I respect them, but I, I try to explain to them, the mask isn't against your freedoms, man. The mask is you protecting others from your germs. It's uh, It's a sign of respect. Anytime that, you know, I've, I've been around Asian countries. That's just something you do. If you have a cold and you're going to the airport, you just you put on a mask. I mean, I don't know. I don't understand why it's a political thing. It's not a big deal. And, you know, I go to the grocery store and I wear my mask because I don't want to get anybody sick if I have something. And I see a lot of people not wearing masks and it's it's kind of sad. So, uh. If you don't agree with me on that topic, that's cool too. I want to include everyone in this podcast. If you're here for any reason at all, please do not feel excluded just because I like masks. I don't like masks. I just wear it because it's a respect thing. So uh, yeah, that's my my soapbox. I'm getting down off of it now. And we'll talk about some other things. Some big things happening at Swinney headquarters. That is my house. Uh, some of you out there like it when I talk about my my personal life stuff. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it out there. Uh, both of the Swinney offspring, my daughter, Indy, and my son, Silas. Uh, Silas is four. He's been potty trained for a long time. But Indy, who is two, 
we just got her finally diaper free. She she's doing awesome. And uh, it's so nice to not have to buy diapers anymore. So I'm excited about that. And all, all of the the punk rock dads out there know what I'm talking about. Shout out to the punk rock dads Facebook group. I'm sure you guys, when you got your kids out of diapers, were pretty excited about that. Other things going on in my house. It's been a big week. We now have a kitten named Darby. And we have a new puppy named Sydney. Yes, we just kind of went all out and got a kitten and a puppy. Um, we're doing virtual preschool, which has been a treat. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm doing fairly well at my virtual preschool with my son Silas. My wife has been doing indie in the, the kitchen. And Silas and I go in his bedroom and we get out their tablets, which they like to, for some reason, call wowies. They always say, give me my wowie. And uh, yeah, we're doing virtual preschool and it is going very well. I'm happy to say my kids are pretty smart. Uh, they must get that from their from their mother. But um, they've also gotten brand new beds and they're sleeping through the night. I'm telling you, I'm my wife and I are parenting and adulting like super well lately. I don't know what happened, but it's been a very like I feel like a grown up, which sounds weird, but. Everyone out there listening, if you're into punk rock and this underground music type thing, you probably know what I'm talking about. Like you could be in your 40s and your 50s, but sometimes you're just like, wow, I feel like a grown up today. Some days I don't feel like a grown up, but lately I've been feeling like a grown up. So that's what's going on in my life. Uh, I hope you guys out there are doing well. Like I said, shout out to the Punk Rock Dads Facebook group. I find a lot of uh, support there. And if you're a punk rock dad out there and you don't know what that is, just search for it. Punk Rock Dad's Facebook group on Facebook. You can also sign up for the TOTOT community Facebook group. And uh, we talk about all kinds of cool stuff over there. So go get involved there. We might as well get on to what's going to happen today on the program. Today on the program... Author Jim Ruland is on the program. Jim has been writing for punk rock zines like Flipside since the early 90s and has basically written for every issue of Razor Cake, which is really cool because Razor Cake is America's only nonprofit independent music fan zine. This guy does it all, and he's a really cool guy. He also co-authored the book My Damage with Keith Morris, who is the founding vocalist, of course, of Black Flag, Circle Jerks, and Off. More recently, and the big reason I wanted to have Jim on the show today, he co-wrote the new Bad Religion biography, Do What You Want, The Story of Bad Religion. And we talk mostly about that today on the episode, but we talk, we hit a lot of places and, and it goes kind of all over the place. Jim was a really, really fun person to talk to, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Uh, this also kicks off my two-week tribute to Bad Religion. Uh, next week on the show, founding co-founder and bassist Jay Bentley from Bad Religion will be on the program. I wanted to kind of do these back-to-back. Like when I did the No Use for a Name episodes, I had Rory and Matt like back-to-back. So uh, yeah, come back next week, of course, to hear Jay talk about some of the same stuff that I'm going to talk about today with Jim. But it's such a great book. I urge all of you to go out there and, and pick this up or read it on your Kindle or, or or however you read books, you need to check it out. Myself, I don't know if you're like me, but I cannot get enough of documentaries and podcasts and books and TV shows and whatever that has anything to do with any kind of music that I'm into. 
uh, or music in general. I mean, hell, I will admit it. I've watched the Backstreet Boys documentary a couple times, and it was really good. I'm not a big Backstreet Boys fan, but the documentary was very interesting. So if you're into that kind of stuff or you're into biographies about music or bands or anything, you'll love it. Even if you're not a huge Bad Religion fan, you will love this book. So check it out. It's called Do What You Want, The Story of Bad Religion. I highly, highly recommend it. So before I get into my conversation with Jim, I need to pay some bills. Uh, the band at the beginning of the episode, Wanted Noise, out of San Diego, California. This this is their second, maybe third time sponsoring the, the podcast. I want to give a shout out to those guys. So check out Wanted Noise on all of the streaming platforms and on the socials at Wanted Noise CA. Back on the program again. I love this guy's work. It's amazing. Mr. Small does math. If you're having a problem with your math, your kids are bringing stuff home, you guys are all doing the remote learning stuff, you need to hit up Mr. Small Does Math. You can find all of his YouTube videos for tutoring and anything that you need math-wise. He's a punk rocker that loves to do math. He's a teacher. He's been teaching for like eight years. He's my dude. You need to check it out. Head on over to tinyurl.com forward slash Mr. Small Does Math. Or you can just Google it. I Googled it and it came up. You can go to YouTube and put in Mr. Small Does Math and you'll find it. It's all free. It's just a nice resource. You know, I would much rather figure out how to do trigonometry from a guy that loves the descendants than figure it out from just a book, you know. So head on over to Mr. Small Does Math. Like I said, tinyurl.com forward slash Mr. Small Does Math. Last but not least, my buddy Gary at PartsCasterConcierge.com. I tell you every week, they're an amazing, amazing place. They build guitars. They consult on guitars. They can build you pedal boards. They can build you a pedal. They can do anything. Hit up my buddy Gary over at PartsCasterConcierge.com. If you have a band or a company and you would like to sponsor an episode, it's very easy. Just hit me up and we will figure it out. TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com or on all of the socials at TOTOTpodcast. And while you're there, throw me a like, throw me a follow. Let's let's be friends on the socials. Uh, if you'd like to support this podcast, you can hit up our Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash TOTOTpodcast. If you would like to make a one-time donation, you can hit up the Venmo. It is at Christopher Swinney, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R-S-W-I-N-N-E-Y. If you would like to support the show for free, head on over to wherever you listen, subscribe, rate, and review. That's the best way because it helps us gain visibility and find more people that can participate and really get into the show just like you, the amazing listener that is listening to this right now. A uh, big shout out to Sarah over at Road Dog Supply. Sarah is our art director here at the podcast and she does such a wonderful job on all the artwork for the episodes and she's doing all the merch. I put up a video. She was uh, screen printing some of the new merchandise and it's it's crazy. You guys are buying stuff like insane. Uh, all the money that, you know, is being made off of merch, we're putting back into the merch because we want to get hats and we want to get all kinds of crazy stuff. And we actually want your input. So if you have an idea, like, should we do patches? Should we do guitar picks? Like, what should we do? Hit me up and let me know what we should do. But if you would like to get some of the new merchandise, it's all limited edition, private stock. Like the shirts are just like silk, man. They're, they're so nice. 
head on over to TOTOTpodcast.com and pick up some merch. We would really appreciate it. And thank you so much for supporting that one time on tour. Um, I have, my segment today is actually pretty cool. Uh, I've had a lot of people that enjoyed enjoy me talking about my dad. I, I lost my dad in 2005. He was in a car accident. And that's sad and everything. And yes, of course, I'm still sad to this day. It was, he was my best friend. But my dad was the coolest guy in the world. He, he got into punk rock when I did, pretty much, because he was taking me to the record store and you, you know, he bought me Punkarama before I even knew what it was. And last week on the show, I talked about going to see Offspring and my dad got to meet Noodles and I didn't get to meet Noodles. And my dad cussed out Carrie King from Slayer. Like there's all kinds of crazy stories about my dad, but this one was really, really cool. I thought about this today and it goes hand in hand with touring. So uh, back in uh, 94, 95, 96, around that time, my dad used to always go to this place called Karma Records in Muncie, Indiana. And uh, they would always be playing like a tape or a CD. And it was whatever the, the clerk at the record store wanted to listen to. But he had to put like on display, like what was being listened to. And if my dad liked it, my dad would buy it. And my, that's how my dad bought like Pennywise stuff. And that's how my dad bought, you know, Pantera and like all kinds of crazy stuff that you wouldn't think your father would buy. Like my dad was a classic rock guy. You know, he. I don't know, but he got into this stuff the same time I did, and he actually really liked it. It wasn't like bullshit, like he was trying to like you know appease me. Like he really liked this stuff because he was a music fan. So uh, one day my dad walks into Karma, and there's this crazy stuff playing, and it was by this band called Nail Bomb. I don't know if any of you out there know what Nail Bomb is, but uh, their one and only record they put out came out in 1994. is called Point Blank. Nail Bomb was a band. It's kind of like a side project that included Max Cavalera from Sepultura and this guy named Alex Newport, an English guy from a band called Fudge Tunnel. And Alex was also a producer. And like since then, like Alex has produced like Death Cab for Cutie, At the Drive-In, City in Color, The Melvins, Block Party. He's done some work with Me First and the Gimme Gimmies and a little fearless record band that I used to play in called Brazil. So uh, my dad loved Nail Bomb. When he heard him that day, he bought it and he listened to it like nonstop. And uh, one time, I think this was in maybe 2004, I was on tour with Brazil and we were in Los Angeles and uh, we didn't have anywhere to stay after the gig. So we went and stayed at Alex's apartment slash studio in Los Angeles. And uh, I actually slept on the floor of his control room. It was really comfortable. I had a pillow and that was about it. But uh, I told Alex, we were kind of talking, and I said, hey, man, uh, you know, my dad really loves Nail Bomb. And he did not believe me. He, he thought that was like the craziest thing in the world. And uh, he said, call your dad. And so I, you know, I called his bluff. I got on there. I called my dad, and, and I told dad, I'm like, hey, we're, we're staying at Alex from Nail Bomb's house. And he goes, you're staying at the Nail Bomb guy's house? And I said, yeah. And the coolest thing was is, and he didn't have to do this, but Alex got on the phone and talked to my dad about those songs and about that record for like a whole half hour or 45 minutes. And it was really, really cool. Like my dad wasn't a guy that was like, oh, it's the nail bomb guy, but he, it was cool. Like he, it made him feel like maybe his son was doing something with his life because I was staying at this dude's house in LA and it was a CD or a tape that my dad listened to all the time. 
but it was really cool of Alex to talk to my dad for that long. And my dad talked about it all the time and told all of his friends, which they were all like, you know, 50 year old dudes that didn't know who nail bomb was. So they didn't care. But, uh, one of my dad's buddies also used to call sepultura, he called him sepultra, which I thought was pretty funny. But, uh, but yeah, my dad loved nail bomb and he got to hang out and talk to Alex on the phone all about nail bomb. So I would love to have Alex on the program. Maybe I can get him on here and he can, uh, he can tell the story from his point of view. But uh, he just thought it was really cool that my dad really liked his obscure, like heavy band that he did with Max from Sepultura. So uh, I just wanted to tell that story. You guys have been sending me emails and letting me know that you kind of enjoy the the stories about my dad. And my dad had a huge hand in the kind of dad that I'm trying to be. And I just did an interview on this really cool podcast called Rad Dad's Show. And uh, if you guys have seen me, I've posted the link to it. It's on YouTube and everything. But check that out if you want to hear some more stories about my dad. And also support them because the Rad Dad Show is it's amazing. It's a really cool support system. It's it's hard sometimes when you're a, you're a dad. It, you just don't know what to do. You always feel like you're fucking everything up. So, uh, so yeah, check out the Rad Dad Show. And thank you so much for listening to my story about my dad. But uh, I'm going to play a Nail Bomb song. This was my dad's favorite track off of their 1994 studio album, Point Blake. This is called Wasting Away. This is Nail Bomb. Thanks.
So yeah, that was Nail Bomb with Wasting Away. Like I said, from their 1994 one and only studio album, Point Blank. I hope you guys enjoyed that. And Alex, if you're listening out there somewhere, possibly come on the show, man. I would love to have you on the program and we can chat about all kinds of good stuff. But that is it for the intro, guys. I knew it went on a little bit long, but uh, it's it's I have conflicting things. Some people say they love the long intro. Some people don't. But it is time. Without further ado, this is my chat with Mr. Jim Ruland, co-author of the brand new amazing biography about bad religion. Do what you want. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Mr. Jim Ruland. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Uh, on the top of the program, you know, I've got a lot of stuff to talk to you about today, but uh, we were just kind of talking about it, a little pre-interview thing. You know, this virus that is hitting us, I'm asking all of my guests, how has it affected you and kind of what your normal life would be without a pandemic going on? Yeah, well, um, you know, as a writer, I, I, uh, I work from home. So uh, a lot of aspects of my life really haven't changed. You know, when, I, when I'm working on a book project, uh, I like to be in the bunker. And then when I'm not, I like to be out and about and going to shows and you know, things like that. But uh, so really, it just kind of feels like I'm, you know, working on a book. The biggest adjustment is uh, uh, my wife. She's in education. Now she's working from home. So now we're, we're always together, which is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I teach guitar for a living, and I, I wouldn't say that I'm away all the time, but I work four or five days a week, and uh, it's been kind of strange. Like, I love my wife; she loves me, and we we have toddlers. But now I'm here all the time. I, I haven't I haven't been to work now since March, and it's it's gotten yeah. a little bit crazy. So I I feel I feel you when you're when you're home and you're with your significant other. Maybe you're not with them all the time, you know. Yeah, she's uh, well. She's the Zoom pro. She's always on meetings and stuff. So, uh, uh, so she coached me up a little, little bit today. So we'll see how we do. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're out in California. I know that uh, you know this kind of still the first wave, I guess, of the pandemic. But uh, California was one of the hot spots where things started spiking again. Here in the middle of the country in Indiana, you know, kids went back to school yesterday. I think maybe that was premature, but are, we've been holding kind of steady. Has it, have you noticed a difference out there with everything that's changed? I know they shut the bars down again. Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of, uh, you know, my wife is a, a scientist and we know a lot of scientists and, uh, um, you know, we just, you know, pay attention to what's going on. We have friends who are, are you know, very involved in uh, the pharmaceutical business and things like that. So, you know, we knew from day one that, like, basically until there's a vaccine, you know, open, closed, safe, not safe. I mean, until there's a vaccine, no one's safe. Yeah. So, um, so we've we've been riding it out, and uh, I, my daughter is in high school, so we uh, she gets it. You know, um, it's not like we have young kids who don't really understand why their lives have been totally turned upside down. So. Yeah, I just um, I think so it's grateful. funny. It's funny that people think, you know, kids are going like young kids are going to understand social distancing and they're not going to take right. their masks off, you know. Right. Right. You know, it's like you can't get them not to play with uh uh, you know, food. Yeah. You know, what makes you think they're going to, you know, leave a mask on? Yeah, totally, man. 
Well, I tell you what, uh, I wanted to have you on the program. I'm very excited about your new project that you have, the new book. Uh, it's an autobiog- autobiography of bad religion called Do What You Want, The Story of Bad Religion. It comes out 818. I just think that's awesome. I know you did a book before with Keith Morris, and yeah, you're holding it up right now. I can see it. Uh, yeah, uh, Christina yeah. sent it to me. It's amazing. It's it's, it's so good. Yeah. So, uh how did this all come about? I know you're a writer and that you've done all kinds of different things in punk rock, but did you know the guys previously? Like, like how did this all come to come about? No, um, I did not know them previously. You know, I've been writing for zines for most of my adult life. Uh, I've been part of the razor cake family since that started in 2000 and interviewed tons of bands and things like that. Um, but it wasn't, I think it was a lot had to do with good timing in that previous book that I did with Keith and that, uh, you know, people really liked it and were talking about it. And so around the time that Bad Religion was looking for a writer for their book, um, it just so happened that my head was sticking out of the bunker. And, uh, so people recommended me and said, yeah, you know, talk to Jim. And, uh, and so we did. So that's how that got started. Had you covered them very much? I know you, I knew you extensively you've written about punk rock, probably covered every band imaginable. Had a lot of that writing had them involved at all in the, in the past? You know, uh, no, not, not at all. Um, it's kind of funny. I mean, bad religion, it was very important to me uh, being a kid from the eighties, you know, I'm a little bit younger than them. I'm not quite as old. So, um, when I discovered them, I was actually uh, here in San Diego. I was in the Navy uh, when another guy in the ship turned me on to Bad Religion and said, check this out. And I was like, whoa, yeah, that's really cool. And uh, So uh, I still have the tape that he made for me with uh, Bad Religion uh, back to the known on it. Uh, so that was like right at their time when they were um, gearing up for to make Suffer. Wow, wow. So, um, but, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, uh, I mean, I, I saw some bad religion shows, you know, if you, you know, you would see them at festivals. I actually went to see one of their performances at the Palladium when they did their DVD, I think in 2000, I used to know that, but the dates are already fading out <laughs> of my mind. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I was bit familiar, but I think in the long run that, ended up being an asset because I didn't really feel like, you know, I wasn't compelled to shoehorn my own experiences and my own perceptions into the book. This is their story, um, you know, their biography. So really what I did was listen and listen to their stories and, and just give them a shape that would make it really fun to read. So, you know, I had Smelly on from No Effects uh, a few weeks back, and he was kind of leading me through how their book came about and how they did a lot of interviews. And then, like, the the guy that did all the writing kind of took different parts from the interviews and put it together. What was the process like for you? Were you on the road with them? Were you just interviewing them separately? Like, how did that go about? Yeah, it was very similar. Um, I got to know Jeff Penalty, who, uh, who was the writer on the No Effects book. Because I fucking love that book. That book is amazing, um, man. I love it so much. Right? Yeah. It's, it's so gnarly yeah. and, uh, and a little frightening, too. And uh, 
and, and I just, you know, I wanted to meet Jeff and I was like, how did you do it? You know? And, um, I mean, I'm not even sure if I had the bad religion gig at that point or not. I was just kind of, you know, blown away by it. Uh, what's interesting is that, um, bad religion was like, yeah, it's a great book, but we don't want that. Yeah. You know, we don't want you know, that kind of story. You know, we want more of a, we don't want an oral history. We want a narrative, but we want to, we also want to be the one that tells our story. So, um, you guess why you have so many quotes and so many stories from the band. And really it was up to me to stitch it all together. So that took place. Like it, those interviews never really stopped. You know, I would, you know, I went out to uh, Cornell, uh, that area where Greg lives and I sat with him at his house for a weekend. You know, I visited with, uh, you know, Brett in the epitaph offices, like eight or nine or 10 times. I mean, we just would have like hour long sessions in his conference room and then, uh, you know, pick it up where we left off the next time. Um, you know, I met with uh, the band members, you know, I would, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I, I didn't go on tour with them. But there were stretches where I would follow them around and I coordinate with the tour manager and then I would just kind of pop up yeah. and it might be like Huntington Beach or Barcelona, you know, I'd be <laughs> like, oh, hey, Jim, you know, we didn't know you were going to be here, you know, like, yeah, what's up? And then, you know, we, there's, as you know, there's a lot of downtime when you're on the road. So people would be, be able to tell stories. There was a time I remember walking with Jay in Italy to a coffee shop and him breaking down, you know, some of the uh, song structure in how could hell uh, be any worse. So it was like, it, it just was an ever on ongoing process that never really ended. It was just, I was just like a sponge and uh, which, which was fun. I've always been very kind of intrigued. Like, I wouldn't consider myself a writer at all, but being a creative type, you know, I, I do the podcast. I've been a musician my entire life, played in a bunch of bands. So I love creating stuff and I like the idea. It's almost like you're a producer on a record because you're taking these stories that they have and you're making them flow and concise and, and go together in like a narrative, like you said. So are you taking like these interviews are you writing stuff down? Are you, are you recording them and you're just like pouring over hours of stuff? Like what was the process like when you felt like you had all the material and you wanted to start the narrative? Well, um, that's a great question. Um, and absolutely. I mean, I can't really say that there was anything that I'd done creatively that prepared me for this job because it wasn't like with, when I did the book with Keith, you know, I go sit with Keith in his apartment and he would tell me stories and we would kind of go through it chronologically. And this was impossible to do that way because it's four guys and they're spread out all over the country. And of course, I wanted to talk to all the former members of the band and managers and crew members and, and other people that they had worked with. And uh, I mean, and so that was part of the challenge is that there's just so much stuff. And I think, you know, there was one time I had a meeting with uh, Jay very late in the process. Excuse me. <clears throat> I had a meeting very late in the process. We were at a diner and he's like, there's just so much stuff in the book and so much stuff that isn't. Because, 
I mean, it's a 40-year career. How do you put everything in? Well, you don't, you know, because nobody wants to read that. It wouldn't be fun to read. So you, you, may, you put as much as you can in a way that makes it fun and engaging to read. So, do you, uh, Did you ever have a time where, you know, not always going back to the no effects book, but, you know, there were some things where each of those guys told their versions of different stories and sometimes they didn't mesh as well. Was there ever a time where maybe you heard something from one of the guys, then you got a version of it from another guy that maybe wasn't quite the same? There was a little bit of that, but it was had more to do with like misremembering where things took place, which um, which I totally understand. And in fact, I'm kind of baffled that they have as good memory as they do because just in the time that I follow them around on tour, you never have those moments where you wake up like, "What city am I?" In? I mean, that's that's not bad religion, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> you know? and but a week later, you don't remember if you had that great, you know, coffee in Italy or Switzerland and it sounds weird, but it really happens. And so that they can recollect stories with the kind of detail that makes them interesting. Uh, yeah, I definitely wanted to make sure I could get verification on as much stuff as possible because it's just human, human error to make those kinds of mistakes. So, you know, being a writer and, you know, you've had a pretty, pretty successful career writing for so many different things and covering punk rock among other stuff as well. Did you always want to be a writer? Was it something that was always around even when you were young? You know, uh, I think so. I mean, I was always drawn to books. I was always really interested uh, in that kind of thing, but it's, you know, I came from a military family and my mom was a nurse and you know, we were very middle-class that my parents had a lot of books on their shelf. So I, there was enormous amount of uh, opportunity and privilege there. You know, like it was not like, you know, I could always, it was always a library within walking distance of where we lived in the suburbs. So, um, but at the same time, I didn't know any writers and it seemed like such a, you know, like, like being a fireman or an astronaut, right? When you're a kid, it's like, how does one be a writer? You know, it's like, it didn't really seem possible, but. I had a cousin in New York who was a screenwriter and he struggled and struggled because he really had a passion for horror movies. And uh, then he got his big break and wrote uh, the movie Pumpkinhead. Oh, and, wow. Awesome. Right. And then shortly after that happened is when um, I moved out to L.A. And uh, and he was kind of like a mentor to me in a lot of ways. And, uh you know, sadly, he's no longer with us, but uh, he was that person that made me realize that, like, you know what? His passion was horror movies, and, it, you know, for a lot of years, it was not cool yeah. to, like, like horror movies and to make horror movies. And, and he was all about it. He went to NYU film school, and all he wanted to do was write horror movies. So um, he stuck to it, and I really took a lesson from that. It's like, you know you know, fuck what everybody else thinks, just do what you love. And that's its own reward. So that's kind of been my approach to zines. And they're like, I never wrote for zines because I thought it was going to lead to something. Yeah. Um, I just did it because it was, you know, it was what I loved and it gave me access to the music that I love. Speaking of the music that you love, I mean, predominantly it's punk rock stuff. 
Was that something that kind of hit you early on when you were young as well? Like what was some of the stuff you were listening to that kind of got you into the genre of punk? Ramones for sure. Um, I had a, I had a paper out. Um, this is like in the very early eighties, um, back when parents still thought it was a good idea to send their, their kids out in the dark for an hour every day. Yeah. And, uh, I had a paper route um, too, man. It, it wasn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting up and it's freezing cold and it sucks. But uh, I had one of those like knockoff drugstore Walkman deals and I had tapes and I would listen to uh, the Ramones, Devo, um, Pat Benatar, which isn't as cool. <laughs> I got into the surf punks. I don't know how or why. I was, um, this is in Virginia and I'm like walking around in the cold, you know, listening to fucking surf punks. But, um, once I got into the, you know, got into the Navy, ironically, then I, I met people from all over the country and it was really eye opening. You know, like there were on my ship, there was like a skinhead from Louisiana and like a metal head from Phoenix and another guy from Los Angeles who was into like punk and post-punk. And I mean, that's really where I got my musical education being exposed to all this stuff. How, how early did you get into the Navy? Was it like right out of school? Right out of high school, like 18 years old, I enlisted and you know, it was one of those situations where my dad was a, a Navy officer. So I showed how I wasn't like him by uh, enlisting in the Navy. You know? <laughs> My plan didn't really work out that great, but um, but that's how I, I got sent sent out to California, and uh, it's been a love affair ever since. So when you were in the Navy, uh, I mean, we haven't talked a lot about growing up other than listening to punk rock and whatnot, but uh, I've just I've had a lot of friends that maybe kind of were into punk rock and they were kind of against authority, and then they went to the military, and it yeah, kind of changed yeah. them a bit. Like, did you have a, a problem like? with how the like how it was in the navy with people telling you what to do and everything oh yeah but, but um but i grew up in a military household i went to catholic school like i got to boot camp and i was doesn't sound very punk rock to say but i was a square peg in a square hole like okay i can do this this is easy i had a much easier time than those kids who came out of the shoot fuck authority you know like the problem kids. And there are a lot of problem kids in the military. I mean, I was in my own like middle-class suburban white privilege way. I was a problem kid too, because, you know, I, I went to Catholic school and, you know, was, was lucky to graduate and was not going to college, you know, yeah. <laughs> like everybody, like everybody else. So was your dad in the Navy as well, or was it a different branch than you? No, he was an able officer. He was a, a Vietnam vet, lifetime uh, career Navy guy. Did uh, did your parents kind of, were they okay with your musical choices when you were young? Or was there a thing of where they didn't quite understand? Well, um, well, they didn't understand, but it was also like we knew they didn't understand. Or at least we thought we did. But um, I will say this, uh, my mom took me and my younger brother to see the remote owns uh at the wax museum in washington dc um when we were kids you know we, we couldn't get in and you like we were underage and you had to have like an adult with you and um 
I don't know if we asked my mom or if she volunteered, but, um, but she took us, yeah. which is a trip when I think about it now. And she almost got kicked out because she kept climbing up on bar stools in the back to take pictures. And they were all like, no, 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 man, you can't do that. You got to get down. And she just, she just wouldn't listen to them. So, uh, so maybe that, so maybe I got it from my mom, right? Yeah. Your mom sounds pretty cool. Like my, my dad used to take me to shows all the time. My first show was Metallica when I was like 11 years old. And, uh, the funny thing is the Ramones though, I, I kind of wear this as a badge. It's not a great badge. I got to see the Ramones but it was at Lollapalooza 96. So it wasn't quite seen oh. where you saw them. I would have liked to have seen him in a small club. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like, you know, I saw the sex pistols and on their reunion tour and it was horrible, but, yeah. but you never know. Like I remember like it was, I think it was inland invasion and Riverside or I'm probably messing this all up, but they were on the same bill with the buzzcocks and the buzzcocks blew them away. Wow. And, and after that, I was like, you know what? I'm going to pay more attention to buzzcocks because they still got it. Hell yeah, man. So, you know, back to the book a little bit, I was wondering, Yeah. you know, you've got all these guys you're talking to, you know, if you like the book with Keith, you said you were just sitting in his apartment and chatting with Keith. So there maybe wasn't a lot of what we were talking about where people remembered stuff differently or whatnot how many times did like the band kind of look over your, your draft before they signed off on it? Were there any rewrites? Was there anything that they were kind of weird about or was other stuff they wanted to include? Like how was that process for it? The ba- uh, Well, yeah, there were rewrites, but the band could not have been cooler about it. They gave me complete and total access. They didn't tell me, don't talk to this person. Don't, talk about that they really let me let me do it and greg was like it almost felt like taunting at times he'd be like i don't envy you jim this is a hard job and you know and greg greg's written books so i'm like yeah i i know but i think we got this you know and he's like i don't know jim this is you really signed yourself up for something so it was pretty fun um but they they really like they they let me do it and uh, and I think just by they didn't check up on me but but because they knew who I was talking to because people would always get back to them and so I you know I think they always felt like I was on the right course it wasn't like I went and disappeared for a while and went and wrote a manifesto about the band somewhere you know I was I was in the mix I was talking to people I was around and every time someone said you should go talk to this person because they were standing right over there. I'd be like, okay, I'll go talk to that person. It was always like that kind of thing. Um, and then I showed them a draft and they were like, you know, okay, yeah, well, this is good, but we'd like, we'd like a little bit more of this. We'd like, you know, more. And the idea there was that I'd had it in my head that like, okay, like I'm a zine kid. I've been writing for zines all my life. Now I got to be like a historian right? This is bad religion. This is serious. So don't fuck it up, you know, get everything right. And, you know, and so when they read it, they're like, yeah, this is really good. But like, we like, you know, more passion, you know, like how you feel and, you know, make it like, you know, like, like it was a zine and, uh, meaning, you know, that kind of energy, not turn the book into a zine. And I was like, Oh, I can do that. And, uh, and so, um, 
we, we went back and uh, everybody signed off on it and here we are. Hey guys, it's Chris breaking into the action to tell you about a brand new sponsor for the podcast, Spam. Not Spam, Spam. What is Spam, you say? Is it music? Is it art? A label? A poster? Or a festival? Spam combines all of this and so much more. S-B-A-M. Four letters in punk rock to watch out for. There is hardly any band or artist in the punk rock world that has not worked with Spam before. For the latest news, records, art, or to check out their iconic music festival, please visit www.sbam.rocks. That is www.sbam.rocks. Well, I tell you, man, I've, I've read the book and, and I love it. And it does sort of read that way. You know, being a, a 90s kid, I, I've done my fair share of reading zines growing up when there was no internet and you had to do that to find out about your favorite bands. I think it's kind of a match made in heaven because they, I can't imagine the book being like some big author guy that just kind of didn't do it that way. Like the style of the book is very easy to read. Like I just, I got through the whole thing in a couple of days with toddlers, you know? So it's just, Oh, that's great. It's, it's, it's a really great book. I love the style of your writing. One thing that I was like wondering about, I'm, I'm familiar with the Keith book. I'm familiar with the razor cake stuff. Have you ever done anything like, like fictional, like actual, like, like a, that isn't something about music or about like politics, not politics, but like pop culture or anything like that. Has there ever been like short stories or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Uh, fact, uh, you know, before I started doing uh, all while I was writing zines and stuff, I was uh, I wrote a novel that was published, and I wrote a collection of short stories uh, through Gorski Press, which is an offshoot of Razor Cake. And so I've always written um, fiction alongside everything I've done. It was like. You know, whatever day job I had, I was always getting up in the morning or, or working on it in the weekends. It's uh, and I love to read. I read widely. You know, what is like your process with that? Like, what are you inspired by? Are you writing all the time? You know, like as a musician, I play guitar every day. I might not write a song, but I pick it up and I do it. So, like your, you know, your strength is your writing. Are you jotting down ideas in your in your phone? Like, like, are you doing that quite a bit? Yes, sometimes, but, um, you know, I worked, uh, in advertising for a while, like for, for like after, after I settled down in LA, I worked, I worked in advertising for a number of years and bounced around to a couple of places. And that really helped me in terms of learning how to write when you don't feel like it, you know, and I came to see like, you know, like, well, I don't feel like writing. Well, that's a choice, right? That's not a feeling. That's a choice not to write. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm a writer. So writers write. So here we go. Um, you know, I give myself time, time off when I feel like I'm burning out. And to be honest, that's, I mean, I love to read. So I've always got my nose in a book and pulling myself away from the computer in one way or another. So it balances out really well. Um, 
are, are you the the old school like books turning like actual book or you have a kindle or something or reading a book you know what um i'm neither i i mean i feel like there's there's a i know what you're talking about because there's certain people would be like oh i love the way books smell and yeah it has to be paper and ink and all that i'm like yeah but i mean you know i'm sure that's how they felt in like the you know 17th and 18th century when they were like oh man i i really miss the way the calfskin covers smell on a book this paper's bullshit you know? yeah. <laughs> so um i feel like you know I, I i read books in kindle i read in newspapers i read you know, paper. I read Moby Dick on my phone. You know, it's like books are machine and whatever the machine is, I'll do it. Like I, I have a feeling that someday in the future, I'm going to be reading books inside of video games. Yeah. Or you might have the thing of where I saw this thing the other day on the internet that you can get a microchip and that you can just surf the internet in your head. So maybe you'll just be reading a book oh, well, in your head. That'd be kind of cool, right? No, no, that would not be cool. Yeah, no, no, no. So I, I am the microchip. Yeah. You are the microchip. Yes, yes, sir. So yeah. being a writer, you know, I, I kind of attribute it to being a musician. What were some of your heroes that maybe inspired you to take up writing? Uh, maybe some of your favorite books that you could share with us. Oh wow! Well, um, that's a, a great question. Like when it comes to like favorite books and favorite music. Um, I'm always really passionately in love with the stuff I'm listening to right now. Yeah. And it could be a, a record from the seventies or it could be something that dropped last week. Um, and then I wear it out and wear it out and I may listen to that for months, but then, and then it goes and it's kind of weird because I may love a record and then never buy the follow up or, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just one of those weird things. And I'm kind of that way with books. Um, I uh, I have a real passion for uh, Irish uh, writers and Irish literature. Um, I think there's really something about that approach and uh, the command of the English language, especially getting back to that whole idea of here you have this island of indigenous people who are now writing in a language of their colonizers and not their own. Yeah. Um, and doing it really well is, is really exciting to me. There are writers like Kevin Barry who are writing right now, who I think are just kind of like magicians with words, the things they can do. They can tell like, like a real gritty gangster story, but it can be beautifully written. Um, but in terms of like the stuff that got me into it, it's, um, I don't know. I mean, it almost doesn't matter. It's like anything that makes you pick it up and want to do it yourself is like, is, is great. Yeah, I think um, like when I was in the Navy, I just there was a, a box of books that would just paperbacks would turn up in the back. And uh, I got in a lot of trouble in the Navy and there was a lot of times when I wasn't allowed to leave the ship. So uh, <laughs> I went to that box a lot. And like sometimes it'd be Stephen King. Another time it was Truman Capote in cold blood. And that just blew my mind. Like, oh, wow, what is this? Yeah. So um I think whatever gets you excited about it, then, then it's good, right? Yeah. How about a, a story of why you got stuck on the ship and they wouldn't let you leave? <laughs> oh, man. Well, <laughs> uh, I should probably start by saying that um, uh, I'm a recovering 
recovering alcoholic. Okay. And I've, I've been sober for like 11 plus years. And when I was in the Navy, I was very, very not sober. Very, very so, not sober. Um, so I was one of these people who um, really good on the ship. I could follow orders and I could do the work and uh, because I knew it meant we were going to get to go somewhere else, go into downtown San Diego before the gas lamp or go down to Mexico or when we, when we traveled abroad and we were, you know, all over the Western Pacific. I was, I was all about that. So I was a really good sailor on the ship and a pretty terrible one on the beach. <laughs> okay. I think we can leave it at that. I think everybody kind of understands about that. So it's uh, pretty stereotypical behavior. Yeah. I've, I've known some sailors in my, in my lifetime. A few, a few of them have been in my family and I think they have similar stories. <laughs> makes you, makes you wonder how the Navy even like does anything. Everybody just has that much fun, you know? Yeah, it, it's it's an odd mix. Well, it's it's you know what? It's funny because um, when I would hang out with Bad Religion, and especially in uh, the festival circuit, you know, where they're meeting up with the you know different bands that they've had these relationships with for fifteen, twenty, twenty five, thirty years sometimes, and they have like their own when they're on the road, they have like an old way of talking with each other and slang and they're like they're really harsh on each other too in a way that's just taking a piss out of each other that's not meant to be taken seriously and uh and um and it brought back so many memories of being in the navy that kind of intense camaraderie and uh it, it was really cool it was really cool that's awesome man well hey uh i have some listener questions if you wouldn't mind answering those yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, Matt from Boston, Massachusetts, he says, was there ever a story that didn't make it into the book that you wish you could have included? Um, yes and no. I mean, uh, yeah, there actually there is. So um, I talked to all the former members of uh, Bad Religion, and uh, and they had some great stories, right? And also, like, you know, some of these stories were a little juicier and you'll see them in the book because they're not in the band anymore. They can say whatever the hell they want. Right. And I mean, and I should also add that for the most part, you know, people are very, have great memories about their time in, in bad religion, you know, and it doesn't matter if they were in for years like Bobby share or just months like Tim Gallegos. I got a text from Tim Gallegos like a couple minutes ago. So Tim, if you're listening, I'll get back to you. Yeah. And uh, I mean, they're just great. They're really great people. They're still passionate about bad religion and punk after all these years. But Bobby told me a funny story about um, a, a, a former member of, uh, um, of the band having a fit in the studio. And, uh, that was like the, one of the few things where they were like, you know what, this is great, but let's not go there. There's no way that anyone could read this and not, you know, that person not to feel bad about it. We don't want that. We don't want people feeling bad about the book. I'm like, hey, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but it's a great story, and um, you know, maybe you should have Bobby on as a guest, and you can. Ask I'm I'm friends with Bobby on Facebook, <laughs> and I, I've I've talked to him a couple times about coming on. I think it's probably going to happen at some point. So yeah, I'll make sure to ask him that question. 
Um, Bobby is a, a tremendous human being, like super kind and generous. And he's also like a punk rock historian. Oh yeah. So he, he knows, he knows stuff. Like he knows the date he heard, um, uh, Circle Jerks introduced Bad Religion on Rodney Bingheimer's show. Wow. Like he's like, like, he knows that kind of stuff, you know? So, um, you should definitely have him on your show. Yeah. We, I think I've, I've mentioned to him a couple of times and yeah, his posts on Facebook about like historical, like punk rock stuff blows my mind half the time, man. Yeah. There, there's some great Bobby stories in the book. Awesome, man. Well, uh, thank you, Matt, for your question. I have one more listener question. Eddie from Montana. He wants to know, do you have any music or band inspired tattoos? And do you have a favorite tattoo? Um, do I have any, um, I'm sure I do. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank cause I'm covered in them. <laughs> you know, it's going to sound pretty sad, but I have a shitload of sailor tattoos. Oh, that's awesome, um, man. Yeah. Well, you, you should, you should get... have them more than me. I have sailor tattoos and I was never in the Navy. So. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I did, uh, just, I, I am going to get a, um, a bad religion inspired tattoo once the book comes out. I don't want to jinx anything and it's going to be a, uh, I'm going to get a suffer boy, uh, from a, a tattoo from a local artist in San Diego named Serge who, uh, works out a pops tattoo and he's a, uh, so he'll bring his own vision to it. It'll still be like. One of out of his one of his creations, but still recognizably suffer boy. So, so, so soon, soon, soon. Awesome. Uh, and do you have a favorite tattoo though? Anything jump out to you? Um, probably the newest one. You know, I worked in a in a casino, a tribal casino, for a while. So I have like this robot slot machine that's farting a money cloud. I like that one a lot. And, uh, but you know, they're like, you know, I got one in Lisbon and, uh, so that's really sentimental to me. And one is about one of my favorite spots in Ireland. So, you know, I mean, you know, totally. Well, uh, Eddie, a wall, a wall of nostalgia, <laughs> Eddie, thank you so much for your question. And uh, I got to tell you, man, I've had you on the line for a while, and I, I'm I'm so excited about this book. Like I said, Christina sent it to me, and I love it. I hope it does amazing. Everybody out there needs to check it out. Do you have any? I know you said you know the pandemic hasn't affected you that much because you work from home. But uh, what does the future hold? Do you have any new projects that you can talk about? Yeah, actually, I do. So, um, um, I do have another book that I can't talk about, but. One of the more exciting things, but I will soon, and and, uh, and that's all. I'm, I'll be talking about that in my newsletter, which is called uh, "Message from the Underworld" from the the Weirdo song. And um, so, as soon as I can talk about it, I will there. But um, I'm working with uh, Keith Morris and Paul Rackman. Paul was the director of American Hardcore, and we're working on a movie about. Uh, uh, Keith's life about his childhood in Hermosa Beach. Well, like so, with like um, actors or like a documentary? No, 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 we're working on a feature. Oh, dude, that's and, amazing. Uh, yeah, so we've written a screenplay. Um, you know, Keith, you know, I wrote it and with Keith, and uh, it's, it's all based on, I mean, 
it's kind of like an adaptation of like the first few chapters of my damage, you know, his, his, uh, memoir. And, um, you know, the pandemic has definitely slowed uh, Hollywood down. Things are pretty locked down there, but, uh, but, um, and I'm sure it'll be, uh, an indie movie. So, so it'll take its way to chug along through the system and face all those many obstacles and mountains. But, um, but, uh, but it's Keith Morris. Who doesn't want to see a movie about Keith Morris as a kid in Hermosa Beach? Yeah, so is it going to like, I mean, what you can talk about, is it going to span through like Black Flag, Circle Jerks, like the whole thing? No, no, no. This is where it's fascinating is that it ends where Black Flag begins. Oh, my God. So it's all about the beginning, like when he's young up until. That's crazy, man. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, um, it's really cool. So it's really a father-son story. Um, if you read my damage, you know, that Keith's dad was like a really incredible, complicated figure. And then here's this guy who became a business owner and a pillar of the community in Hermosa beach, but who had also done time for, you know, drug smuggling. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's a really interesting story. And, um, you know, I mean, if you read my damage, you know, that, you know, I mean, it's Keith, there's fireworks in every aspect of his life. Well, and I guess that also leaves you guys room for sequels to go through the Black Flag era and the Circle Tricks era and the off era and all of that, right? Yeah, and uh, Keith and I, you know, we're we're still sharing stories, and uh, there may, you know, there may be something like that down the road. One of the things that got scuttled with the with the pandemic was the Circle Jerks' 40th anniversary, and uh, you, as you probably know, they were. They were going all over the world. Yeah, they were going everywhere because Greg Greg has been, you know, speaking of Circle Jerks and Bad Religion, Greg's been on the show before. He's a friend and he was posting yeah. all of that, all those tour dates. And then as soon as everything hit, I was like, oh man, that's got to be, that's got to be so hard that you're getting back. You're doing this reunion thing all over the world. And then it's just canceled. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely a heartbreaker for all those guys and, uh, you know, which, which, which sucks. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, I know Keith, he had his, like, you know, he's been dealing with um, um, diabetes for the last 20 years and has almost died from it. So he has to be super careful, and he understands that. And, uh, I mean, if you know Keith, you know he had, like, that conspiracy theory podcast, and you might think, like, well, where does Keith weigh in on all of the coronavirus? Yeah. And he's he's got his head on straight, and he does not mess around you know, with, um, any of that, he stays at home, you go, you, you know, he's cooking at home, he's, he's doing all the right things so, so that when it, when this nightmare is over, uh, the circle jerks can get out on the road. Well, I, I would love to have Keith on. He's always been kind of a hero of mine and I just, I love his style and I love everything, everything about his career. So put in a good word for me, man. <laughs> well, he's, he's a, uh, he's a national treasure. He is and like, you know, like, I certainly do that. Awesome. Well, uh, I tell you what, man, do you have anything that you would like to plug as far as socials or your own website or any, any way? I know that people can get the book on Amazon and, and everywhere, but uh, as far as like your stuff, so you can kind of get people to follow what you're doing, how, how can people find you on the internet? Yeah, I'm on Twitter as Jim Vermin. Uh, I don't do Facebook because it's evil. I, and I agree. Um, uh, I have my newsletter. 
uh, message from the underworld. It comes out every Wednesday, and uh, it's it's a weird mix of uh, you know punk rock and books and horror stuff, and the occasional Navy story uh, for your listeners who uh, who like that kind of thing. And um, but, but yeah, that's about it. Now you have JimRulin.net as well, correct? Yeah, that's right. So they can go there and get the book. I think as I checked that out this morning and. You know what? Uh, you can get the book. You know, uh, you can order it through your local indie bookstore. They'd be really happy for your business right now, and you can pre-order it, which means it'll probably get there on time. Um, or, or you can order it through uh, Kings Road Merchandise. Uh, I think that's a subsidiary of Epitaph or a side company where that does all a lot of the. You're probably familiar with Kings Road. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar. They're a great company. Great company. So you can get it from them, and uh, I'll. So there are a couple of websites that are offering signed editions and they're out there. So um, uh, I, I'll put, I put them up on my socials from time to time. So uh, um, that's a good way to, to get a copy of the book. Awesome. Well, hey, I've just had such a good time chatting with you today. The book is amazing. Everybody listening out there, please go pick it up. Do what you want. The story of bad religion, Jim, thank you so much for coming on the program. And when you have these other projects, please come back and talk to us again. Okay. Oh, I'd love to. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that. Awesome. Have a good night and stay safe, okay? You do the same. So there it was, my conversation with Mr. Jim Rulin. I loved chatting with Jim. He was such a great guy and such a great guest. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Just, you know, make sure to check out his new book, Do What You Want, The Story of Bad Religion. It's out right now. And you should do what Jim said as well. Support your smaller like mom and pop bookstores if you have one in your area. Uh, you can also order it on Amazon and the big boys. But, you know, like guys like Jeff Bezos, they already have enough money. So maybe you should go down the street to your local place. We, we have all kinds of places around here, so I'm sure you do as well. Get creative. Put your money in places it needs to be. I use Amazon all the time, but if I'm going to get something like this, I might I might try a different a different avenue to go down to get my books. So that is it for this week. Thank you so much once again for coming back every week. The show just keeps growing and growing exponentially. Shout out to my new network, Sound Talent Media. You guys are great. Uh, they were posting some cool promos and stuff for me the other day. So shout out to them. It feels good to be on a network with so many other great podcasts. I could name them all, but I'm not going to. Just go to soundtalentmedia.com and you guys can check it out for yourself. So uh, I really appreciate the support, by the way. I got to say that. Uh, some amazing guests are coming up in the future. I just booked a crazy guest today. Uh, not really from the punk world, but he is an amazing artist. Great voice, great instrumentation. I can't say anything else about it right now, but I can't wait to share his story with you. It's uh, somebody I listen to on a regular basis. My kids like him. My wife likes him. My parents like him. You guys are going to love it. I can't say any more, but hopefully I've piqued your interest a little bit. But uh, so many great episodes. I mean, we've got Magnus from Satanic Surfers coming up. Ben Gillies from Silver Chair is coming up. Next week, Jay Bentley from Bad Religion. My second week of my tribute to Bad Religion. So I have so many amazing episodes coming up. Jared Dines, he's a YouTuber that kills it on the guitar. He has a signature guitar. And he was just on the cover of Guitar World magazine. I have so many crazy guests coming up. You guys are going to love it. So subscribe, rate, and review. Share the show with a friend. 
you can go right to TOTOTpodcast.com and you can click on the episodes. Every episode has its own page. And at the bottom, you can share it on Facebook. You can share it on Twitter. You can share it everywhere. So I, I implore you, if you like this show, please let someone know that you think would enjoy the show as well. Let's spread it. Let's get everywhere. So that's it. That's it. <laughs> I'm going to get out of here. But first off, I have to tell you this again because uh, it's it's really cool. We have a brand new logo and uh, Spam did it. <laughs> S-B-A-M. You guys heard the commercial in the middle of the episode. Check them out. But uh, we have new merch, limited edition private stock merch. These shirts are like the softest thing that you've ever felt in your life. Go on over to TOTOTpodcast.com. Pick up a shirt, pick up a tote bag, pick up some masks. It's, you know, be a walking billboard for that one time on tour. I would really appreciate it. And we're going to take all of the dough that we make from all of this and throw it right back into the merchandise so we can have cool stuff like hats and patches and, and coffee mugs and whatever. I don't care if I ever make any money off of this. I just want to have all kinds of cool stuff that people can can have with the logo on it. It just makes me happy. So, uh, yeah. I'm going to jump out of here, but I got to tell you this really short thing. I had this really weird like idea when I got off the zoom call with Jim that if I was going to write a book about bad religion, I would have called it stranger than fiction, which is one of their, you know, awesome classic records. Uh, it's a perfect title for a true nonfiction biography, but do what you want is a great title as well. So before I jump out of here, I'm going to play the song that inspired the name of Jim's new book from Bad Religion's seminal 1988 masterpiece, Suffer. Here it is. Do what you want. I'll see you guys next week. This is Chris. Peace. Hey, do what you want, but don't do it around me. I don't accept dissipation, great apathy I sit on my ass all goddamn day A misanthropic employee with nothing to say what you must Do all you can, break all the fucking rules And go to hell with Superman and die like a champion Yeah, hey! Hey, I don't know if the billions will survive But I believe in God when one and one are five Lars Fredrickson from Rancid. This is Mark O'Connell from Taking Back Sunday. This is Tom from MXPX. Hey, this is Jay Bentley from Bad Religion. This is Vinny from Less Than Jake. This is Travis from Coheed and Cambria. This is Chris number two for the band Anti-Flag. Hey, this is Ricky Rocket from Poison. This is Pete Parada from The Offspring. Hey, this is Zach Blair from Rise Against. Hey, this is Eddie from the band Thrice. Hi, this is Frank Tana. Hey, this is Jim from Pennywise. Hey, this is Eric Smelly, the drummer of No Effects. Hi, this is Bill from Faith and More. Hey, this is Chris from Propagandy. Hi, this is Roy from No Easter Name. Hi, this is Ben Gillies from Silverchair. This is Stefan from Descendants, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour with Chris Swinney.
Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalist. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Okay.